G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day, everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. And it's arrived, finally, the 2021 AFL men's season kicks off this evening, Thursday evening, with the traditional season opener, Richmond Carlton at the MCG. And even more remarkably, there'll be supporters there in the stands. And uh, what a day this is. I, I can't uh, remember people looking forward this much to the first game of the season for a long, long time. I'm going to be there tonight. I'm lucky enough to be able to work there in my role with ESPN. But there'll be 50,000 people there. The first time the MCG will have hosted a crowd since grand final day 2019. I'm told it's something like 500 and something days or anyway it's a lot and it's a special moment uh we've got a big show for you today full preview of round one plenty of news our fantastic footy flashback segment uh it's going to be great as i say a very big welcome to my footyology co-host mark fine how are you going Finey? great i mean it's always i don't care how old i get Football doesn't get old, and, and the dawning of a new season is always exciting and made more so by the keenness of fans to get to games. You know, uh, I tried to get tickets for Richmond Carlton a week ago, couldn't get them or couldn't get anything reasonably priced. That's a sellout. Collingwood Bulldogs a sellout. Essendon and Hawthorne a sellout. Feels like finals. And the start of the season all rolled into one. It's, it's I guess, hard because it's only half uh, capacity. But in a way, it makes it even more desirable to get to the football. Well, there's certainly going to be a lot of people who would like to be there tuning in just as eagerly on their TV sets. It's going to be a massive few days in the football world. I'm pretty excited about something else, finally, which uh, I'm going to tell everyone about in a, uh, a few seconds. But uh, we've got some uh, wonderful partners here at Footyology. And uh, who am I talking about there? Well, we start off with Andrew's Hamburgers. You know, in celebration of what's going to happen tonight at the MCG, which is a once-off, hopefully, but certainly first-ever, double flag presentation to Richmond because they'll be unfurling not only the flag of last year, but they'll be unfurling uh, the flag from the previous season because it's the first opportunity they've had to do so in front of home fans. In fact, they'll be celebrating all 13 flags. But for the double unfurling, we rarely talk about the great double cheeseburger at Andrew's Hamburgers. Two patties, everything we love, doubled up. Two patties, double the cheese, same buns, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. If it's a double unfurling you're looking forward to tonight, why don't you unfurl a double cheeseburger before you get there? 
Wow, that's sounding very close to a major commercial hamburger chain, but far, far better in quality, as we all know. Speaking about quality, what about quality home renovations? Well, I guess a double-decker. Why not go for another floor onto your house? It's a way of renovating. It's a way of maximising your square meterage. And there's one company that does it magnificently. West Point Properties, Nick Spartels, can build above and beyond what you've got. Build Skywards. Go double-decker. Go Westport Properties, Nick Spartels. Well, wonderful partners of ours. And I said I'm excited, finally. Got some big news because we have a new teammate on Footyology. We have a new partner in data analyst um, website, Stats Insider. They are teaming up with Footyology for season 2021. If you go to the Footyology website, you'll see uh, right now across the top a ticker and uh, features predictions for all the first-round games from the guys at Stats Insider. Let me tell you uh, a little bit about them. They are a sports and data-driven industry leader. They provide model projections and analysis for more than 15 sports across the world. It's not just about AFL football. They simulate an event 10,000 times to best understand both the range of possible outcomes and the probability of each result. So if you're still putting your tips in, check this out first. Along with their famed pre-game live and season projections, Stats Insider is also home to some of Australia's best independent sports writing and analysis. In fact, I've written a column for them this week, which you can read up there now. Stats Insider is a fantastic site. Check it out. It really is terrific. Everything is free to use on the site as well, very importantly. So check them out at statsinsider.com.au. Thanks very much to James Rosewarn and the people at Stats Insider. We're really excited about this partnership. I think, I think it's going to be great for both of us. More importantly, I think it's going to be great for you guys out there because you're going to have access to a lot of quality writing and the best sports data analysis in the business. How's that, Fanny? Does that all sound good to you? That sounds like a perfect marriage. That's that's uh, actually, I'm almost keen to log off this podcast because I want to see what it's all about. Seriously, I've got to put my tips in. I've had a terrible run the last couple of years. I need a ten thousand game simulation to set me off the right foot. I haven't I just can't get tips right. I, I think I can I can get analysis right but not tipping. So here's my leg up. I think that's a good idea, Fanny, because I've kicked your lily-livered ass a couple of years in a row now on the tipping. Correct. And hopefully we'll do so again. Lily-livered ass. I don't know. It was the first thing that came into my head. I don't know how an ass has a liver, but there you go. Uh, All right, plenty of news going on. Uh, Some pretty important stuff too, and time to talk about that right now. On Footyology, Newsfeed. Well, it's an obvious starting point. Um, pretty dramatic, really, when you think about it. The season starting and just, what, 48 hours out from the start of a season, the AFL has decided to turn around and change the rules by introducing what was first going to be a concussion substitute. And then after a bit of argy-bargy, uh, within a few hours, they decided to make it a medical substitute, 
that player will sit on the bench, uh, not to come on until activated on the orders of the club doctor, who is going to have an enormous amount of pressure put on him or her, I would suggest. Um, and uh, I can see this. I, I think there are some justified worries about it being exploited by teams who want to get a player out of touch off the ground and replace him with a more able substitute. So I'll get your views, Finey. Mine, in a nutshell, is I, I, the fact that it's come in so late says to me, pardon my cynicism, but it says... Someone has gone to the AFL, said you're in serious trouble of copying a lawsuit about concussion unless you do something right now. And they have panicked and done it because don't tell me they haven't been thinking about the concussion stuff. They've had all summer to bring this in. Why now on the absolute eve of a season? Secondly, extending it to serious injuries just opens an enormous Pandora's box now, the rules came out and the first thing I looked for was, well, if you do, if you are substituted off, there has to be some sort of cost. Well, they're saying reasonably believed that the player being substituted out would miss the next 12 days of action. So I thought, okay, well, you know, surely you make it mandatory then that if you're subbed out, you miss 12 days, whether you recover in time or not. But no, they have given some wriggle room there by by putting in reasonably belief. Now, obviously, that's because they think, well, guys might recover more quickly. Remember, say, Stevie Johnson in the 2011 preliminary final, uh, who no one expected to play. But the pros of that are far outweighed, in my view, by the cons of having people exploit this. There might be a player so badly out of form that a coach can go, look, there's no way I'm going to pick him next week and decide there and then, okay, I don't mind if he doesn't play. I'm going to bring on the fresh player. It's just, it's created a whole set of potential problems, I think, that it didn't need to. And it's the lateness of it particularly that has me just going, you know, there's something sus about this and uh, maybe we might come to learn that in the fullness of time. What's your reaction to all this? This is, again, you know, every time... I, I have a growing confidence in the AFL with their announcement that we, we're going to return to a day grand final, which I think is based in, if not common sense, then respect for tradition. Then we have to take a step backwards with what is Bush League stuff. To bring in a ruling like this, obviously quickly concocted on the eve of a season, is simply unprofessional, Rowan. You see, we are... The whim, we are at the at the mercy of the of the particular um, mood that the AFL's chief executive officer, Gil McLaughlin, or him and a small cadre of offsiders, this sport can have rule changes, huge rule changes, basically overnight. You see, it can't happen in other sports. In soccer, for example, it takes years to change rules because there are so many nations involved and therefore it requires a very long process and there is actually a mathematical formula of how many countries need to tick off on a particular rule change. Now, we don't have that. We don't have that check and balance. 
And unfortunately, we're seeing it manifest itself in something that's got more hairs on it than King Kong's testicles. I mean, you have just hit tip of the iceberg in terms of what are the problems relating to this. And, and I'm sure that we could go through them. Let's list a few. How about players that go into games with nagging injuries or injuries? Now, they really should not be playing. But now you'll find more such players taking the field because there is an out. So, in other words, if somebody's got a, a, a sore ankle or a, a bit of a, not as much soft tissue injuries, but those sort of injuries that can keep you out, why wouldn't you play them? Because if they get injured, you can replace them anyhow. That's mm. not right. That's not that's not in the spirit of the game. How do we handle that? Yeah, no, it's a really good point. Well, it is. It's just that the, the whole thing is open to exploitation. And if it turns out that it is being rorted left, right and centre a month into the season, what do they do then? Say, OK, we're, we're changing rules in the middle of the season. The other thing too, uh, Steve Hawking is on record as saying when he came to the job, we won't be making rule changes you know, on the eve of the season, or he said, I think even January or February. So, you know, what at what point do they say no? Everything's in place for a season. If if you constantly promote this feeling that it's rules on the run, no wonder the football public is cynical about the um, the rationale behind the things you introduce. I mean, it it is so it is such a rushed decision. Poorly thought through, I would have thought. Look, here's another issue, that when you select your 22, part of the nuances of selecting a team is having a sense of what the opposition 22 will be. And sometimes teams get it wrong. Now, I think a team that may be top-heavy or a team that's getting exploited for not having enough height should not have the out of potentially feigning an injury and addressing that, you know, addressing that, in balance during a game. And believe me, it might not happen in round one or two, but it certainly would happen in the finals if it came down to it. Yeah, and I, I, I've got to, I really feel sorry for the club doctors too, because all of a sudden they have been put, I mean, they're already under pressure, but now they've been put under really obvious pressure. There's going to be the eyes of the football public on them every time a guy gets what appears to be, you know, a, a reasonably serious injury. They're going to have the uh, unspoken or spoken pressure of the coach sort of demanding them to rule a guy out, you know, so he can get the fresh legs on. Um, yeah, look, it, it's just, like I said, it, it's a Pandora's box. And I think we're going to be hearing a lot about it because apart from being very closely watched being a new rule, I think everyone's going to be looking for the cynicism, looking for the rort rather than actually honouring you know, what is allegedly the intent of the rule, which everyone would say is honourable. So, one, it shouldn't have come in this late. Two, it should have just been for concussion. Three, why do the AFL continually leave themselves open for this sort of criticism? They really do shoot themselves in the foot sometimes, I think. Absolutely. And that's the thing that I don't think that they can win out of this because if a team is on the receiving end of a loss when a sub comes on and basically uh, wins the game or helps win the opposition in the game, you, you can be sure that there's going to be uproar amongst the supporters because part of, look, part of football is attrition. Part of football is being able 
to succeed and cover when you are a man down and teams have done it and done it well in the past. The other thing that I'm really questioning here, Rowan, is the fact that so much pressure is being put on the doctor that are we now really almost demanding impart- sort of um, non-club-aligned doctors to make these decisions? Yeah, well, impartiality is, yeah, again, uh, it's sort of putting undue questions over the integrity of club medical staff. And I, I don't not think... Not fair. I don't, no, I, it's not fair. All and, right. and one last one very quickly, Rowan. If you get concussed now, there's a 20-minute period during which you are assessed and then finally declared fit or unfit. You have that 20-minute period, correct? Mm, yep. So are we now doing away with the 20-minute period because clubs would be better served by immediately deciding that somebody is concussed? That may not be fair to the player. Yeah, well, you'd certainly hope that's not the case. But again, uh, wriggle room there that we didn't need to have. All right, let's move on. Um, I wanted to touch quickly on this and not for too long and not in the way people might think. Uh, We've talked a lot about Eddie Maguire. It's been a pretty eventful uh, month or so in his life and his professional career. Um, He emerged from uh, what has been a very unusually low profile for him since resigning from the Collingwood presidency. He re-emerged last night, uh, bobbing up apparently, at the last second to host the midweek edition of our favourite show, Friday Footy Classified on Channel 9. Um, as soon as I saw this bob up on Twitter, I thought, oh, here we go. And so I watched the uh, interview, if you like. He was basically interviewed by Caroline Wilson on the show. Can I just say, like, I, I don't want to get sort of too damning here, but... Uh, it was a car crash. It was a car crash because I thought Eddie still doesn't appear to understand what people's objections to that press co- initial press conference were. And he revealed that by saying, people misunderstood what I said. They didn't, Ed. They didn't misunderstand what you meant by it's a proud day. What they were dirty about I don't know how many times this has to be said. What they were dirty about was the fact that you made that the chief or the the first thing that came out of your mouth was how great this was for the club when the first thing needed to be, this is actually a bad moment for us and, okay, we're proud that we're doing something about it. It was the ridiculous spin and sort of unbecoming spin on a matter of such importance. And the fact that he said people misunderstood what I said just says to me, on some level, Ed still doesn't get it. So that was number one. Number two was you had Ed just determined to give his spiel and just ramble and ramble and ramble in this sort of self-defence, which, okay, fair enough, but you've got to at least have a conversation about it. It was like a pre-prepared speech that he wouldn't be altered from. At the same time, you had the so-called inquisitor or questioner interviewer, Caroline Wilson, who clearly had seen an opportunity for more big news to ask the hard questions, to refuse to let Ed ramble and thus cut him off constantly, which became annoying. Um, With the end result, you had two people for eight or nine minutes talking over the top of each other, not listening to what the other one was saying, 
Caroline would ask a question, uh, Eddie would come, you know, sort of answer it with something completely different. And then uh, for a lot of that time, actually talking over the top of each other. And it made me squirm. It was so difficult to watch. And just as a way of contrast, and this is seeking into, um, you know, sort of media, uh, media watch territory, but I'd watch the front bar on Channel 7. They had Kevin Bartlett on as their guest. It was funny. He was at it. We, we've both worked with KB a lot. We know what he's like. He had his routine going big time. And it was bloody hilarious stuff. And it was really, really funny. It was a celebration of a new season starting. It set the perfect tone. And then you turn over to this sort of faux controversy and let's make a headline and let's be hard buggers. And it just made, it, it sort of represented to me in about eight minutes Everything that I find now really distasteful about the world of AFL football and AFL football media in particular. Have a look at it. If, and, and maybe I'm being too harsh, but I just looked at both of them and I thought, oh, enough already. You know, we've had enough of both of you. I'll tell you what, if you wanted another contrast on the same night, Rowan, you had two champions of the game, maybe one to go on and be the greatest the game has ever seen in a one-hour interview of Nick Rewalt interviewing Dustin Martin. Now, Dustin Martin is media shy. Nick Rewalt started with uh, just some basic questions about the grand finals, uh, last year's final series, last year's grand final, just some meat and potatoes. And then we got into how Dustin Martin has changed as a person. And he just let Dustin really talk about, yes, when he started his career, there was a bit of partying. And he didn't quite get it. But now he really values the fact that he's fit and healthy and can build on this great career. He's really into mindfulness, into yoga, into he's worked extremely hard with somebody called Emma. I'm not sure her surname. Uh, Emma Murray, I think, or, or something along those lines. Oh, yeah, lines. the mindfulness expert. Yep. Yeah. Credits her with really putting him in a great place going onto the football field talks about being calm on the football field, knowing that he's got assets and not forcing them, knowing that his time will come and when it comes, that he has the ability to take advantage of the situation. And it was just a great interview. I tell you what, he was beautifully spoken, very articulate, much more so than I remember in any short interviews he'd done previously. Very articulate, very well spoken. And between he and Nick Rewalt, spoke about his father as well, spoke about influences and even had a really interesting chat about his life growing up as an ardent St Kilda supporter, which brought a bit of a, you know, crease to my brow, but, you know, because he said he would love to play for St Kilda. But all in all, it was a great hour of two champions talking and getting more out of Dustin Martin than I think we've ever got before. It's oh, interesting. It makes, it makes me want to look it up and have a look. I'm sure you'll be able to find it somewhere. And should say, too, we're often critical of the cult of former players as uh, media commentators. But this is one of those times where it actually is a huge plus because someone like Dustin Martin clearly is going to open up more to someone for whom he has a lot of respect in one of the greatest players of the modern era in Nick Rewalt. So, um, you know, if he's uh, congratulations to Rue for being able to get that out of him. And 
well done, Dusty, for uh, for opening up. Yeah, I'll, I'll seek that out and uh, have a look at it. Finding sounds like good stuff. Yeah, it was very good. All right, let's. Uh, I was going to last, but certainly not least, we have to wrap up another round of AFLW round seven last weekend. Just two home and away rounds to go before a pretty eagerly anticipated final series, and the latter. It's getting very, very tight at the top now. All teams have now had a loss. We've got three teams level on six wins at the top. They are Fremantle, Brisbane and Collingwood. Uh, Coming up next, another three teams, one win behind Adelaide, Kangaroos and Melbourne. And the only other side outside what is a top six that can squeeze their way into this year's finals are the Western Bulldogs, who are another further win behind with four wins and three losses. It was a pretty significant round last week, uh, Finey, with some pretty massive games. You had uh, every side in the top eight playing each other. No doubt the most significant results were uh, Brisbane's eclipse of Collingwood. I watched that whole game, Finey, and, geez, it was a great win by the Lions. 4-11-35, defeating Collingwood 4-8-32. Great for a number of reasons. It was a win interstate. It was a win interstate in which Brisbane arrived on the day of the game to play and flew straight back. That happened because the venue was changed at the 11th hour from a Brisbane home game to Witten Oval in Melbourne because of COVID cases going on in Queensland. So well done AFLW too for being able to work all those logistics and have it still happen. But, um, you know, Collingwood on top of the ladder, undefeated. Brisbane suddenly having to play an away game rather than at home. And they held on. It was a tough game, but they clinched the uh, victory with a big last quarter with the aid of a handy breeze, it must be said. And a fantastic win to the Lions. They've been close. They've been runners-up in two AFLW grand finals. Pretty good chance to finally pull that elusive premiership. Um, The other incredible game was Fremantle and Carlton. Carlton's finals hopes pretty much done and dusted now. The Dockers winning that one 6-9-45 to the Blues 6-5-41. And it would have been a big upset. The Blues were the best part of three goals up, 15 points up. But Frio turned around and kicked three goals in a matter of minutes to pull this one from the fire. It was a thrilling last quarter and um, the Dockers franking themselves as a quality team. A couple of other significant results. North Melbourne, uh, too good for the Western Bulldogs, 5-7-37, defeating the Dogs, 3-8-26. And a power pack performance from Melbourne against Adelaide at Casey Fields. They were way too good for the Crows. 6-7-43, the Demons. And they're a great side to watch when they're in full flight, defeating Adelaide 2-3-15. So some really significant uh, results in Round 7 of AFLW. Finally, what uh, caught your eye most? Best game I've seen, that Carlton-Fremantle game. That was fantastic. Look, Carlton playing for their uh, season, and this is a team that were... Specked by many to be a real premiership chance. Of course, they played in the last grand final that we had, losing to Adelaide. And it just hasn't gone Carlton's way, but they were all over Fremantle for most of the game. Houghton, who's a star for Fremantle, could not get 
into the game, but, you know, cometh the hour, cometh the AFLW player because she was instrumental in that three-goal burst. It didn't put the game to bed completely, but it did put Fremantle in front and they were able to hold on despite Carlton's best efforts. Gee, it was... It came on the back of some great football. There was some brilliant marking, some long kicking. We're talking about quality, quality finishing. And it was a very exciting game of football. Well umpired, crowd got into it, great to watch. And I watched Collingwood Brisbane as well. Um, you know, Brisbane had them early. It was sort of, um, they were a bit profligate in front of goal, weren't they? They could have been further ahead and then they had to, they had to re- Re, you know, re-mount the challenge and came home and were too good. Colin would have played every game in Melbourne, but they can only play where they're scheduled to play. So there is a suggestion that they've had a, a good run with it. We'll see come the finals whether or not that suggestion that maybe their ladder position has been inflated by not a lucky draw, but, you know, just circumstance is true. Do you think that uh, Collingwood... Uh, a genuine premiership hope. I really, I, I really like Fremantle to win the whole thing, as I should have done last year. I, I reckon it's incredibly tight. I really do. I, yeah, look, I do think Collingwood are quality. It's a good point about them having played at home, but their midfield, Brianna Davy has been fantastic. Yeah. Um, uh, Steph Giocchi's uh, really important for them. Chloe Malloy, uh, a lot quieter last week, but she's dangerous up forward. So. Yeah, no doubt a quality side. Frio, yeah, they they yeah, they would have been very deserving premiers last year, so there'll be a bit of sympathetic support for their chances. But I must admit, I'm getting a bit, um, uh, what's the word, uh, sentimental about Brisbane having come so close. I like watching them. And there's one, one player of theirs I, I love watching is young Courtney Hodder, the Indigenous, she's small, yep. the Indigenous small forward star who has done a bit of code hopping, but come back to football. And she's been a fantastic, a fantastic addition to the ranks for the Lions. So I think the Premier will come from one of those teams. But that's not to uh, downplay the chances of the likes of Melbourne, who, like I said, at their top, they are very, very hard to stop. Um, gee, Daisy Pierce has been playing some great footy. Lily Mithin's a star. Karen Paxman, a real warrior of that side. Um, and, and they just blitzkrieged Adelaide. And North Melbourne, I think, have got their claims too. You know, they've got some terrific players. Uh, Emma King is a star for them on the ball and in the ruck. Emma Carney, always good value. Caitlin Ashmore. Um, so Abitangelo. Abitangelo, yeah. The, um, who got, got dropped, interestingly, after, I think, round one, only because, um, you know, just to reinforce some team rules and has come back not only a great offensive play, but now with a really good defensive side to a game as well. Yeah, there's no doubt whoever wins it will be thoroughly deserved, but it really is. It, it, we've said a number of times, this has been an outstanding AFLW season. Let's hope, uh, you know, it, it is a bit of a downer, I think, the scheduling that means the end of the season is sort of uh, washed over a bit or pushed under the carpet a bit because the men's have started. I'm not sure how that can be fixed. But uh, it, it certainly is a season that deserves a suitably grand conclusion. So let's hope we get that. Two rounds to go and then an eagerly anticipated final series. All right, that is enough on the news front. 
Time for not a new segment, but a returning segment. Uh, I think you know what it is because we have games on the horizon and it's time to analyse all of them in depth right now. On Footyology, previews with Punch. First game, MCG, Thursday evening, 7.25 local time. It is the traditional season opener, Richmond and Carlton. And with each game, we're going to give you a stat brought to you by our new partner here on Footyology, Stats Insider. They've got some fantastic little tidbits on every game. And there's a hobby horse of mine. It is tidbits, T-I-D bits, not tit bits. So many people say that and it's so annoying. Anyway, I digress. Uh, Got a great stat from each game from the boys at Stats Insider. The stat they are telling us about this first game of the season, Carlton and Richmond, according to Stats Insider's shot charting tool, Richmond's 360 shots from within 25 metres since the start of 2018 is the most in the league. Carlton's 231 is the fifth worst. So there you go. Richmond score a lot of easy goals. And when you think about it, it makes sense, doesn't it? A lot of crumbs off the packs with the little guys racing in. Um, a lot of marks taken close to goal. They really, uh, you, when you see the amount of chances they create, so many of them are uh, often walk-in goals and pretty easy goals. And the Blues clearly need to be able to create a few more of them. So there is an interesting stat to kick us off. I think the, uh, the Tigers have won this meeting the last 10 occasions they've played, Finey. Uh, uh, Blues have got a few injury worries. Do you see much chance of this one proving any different to the previous 10? No. that They meet Richmond at full strength. I mean, this is really, except for Basho Hawley, who's going to miss another week, probably... And, of course, we know that Ivan Soldo is not available. But I'll tell you what, this is a near full-strength Tiger team. They've come through the pre-season pretty much unscathed. Most teams can't say that. And when you've got a powerhouse Richmond team that can leave out the likes of Amali and Pickett and others, uh, you know that you're coming up against a Cherry Ripe triple premier. Well, three out of four, anyhow. As for Carlton, their forward line has been certainly put on hold. Mackay, likely to play, has been selected and has had ankle problems. But beyond that, we know that there's no Kurno. We know that there's been a rush to get a few players over the line. Jack Martin missing out. Look, they haven't been good enough for one reason, because they are not in the same class as Richmond. 17 teams can say that. It's just, again, very hard yards. They've actually done respectably in these games without winning them. And I can see at very best a respectable showing for the Blues. Yeah, they did last year too, didn't they? If you remember, Richmond uh, got off to an absolute flyer, but Carlton probably had the better of the second half. And in the end, uh, yeah, a, a respectable enough sort of defeat. Just on those Carlton injuries quickly, when you look at the names as a group, it's a considerable amount of manpower for them. Charlie Curnow, Zach Williams, who's suspended, of course, Jack Martin, Caleb Marchbank, Eddie Betts, Nick Newman, Mitch McGovern. Uh, those all, uh, those guys all play and you give them some chance. Pretty hard to see 
without them. Uh, and you're quite right about Richmond. I think the only significant absentee for the Tigers is uh, Bashar Hoy, who also has a calf injury. So pretty hard to see any result other uh, than a, a Richmond win here, I think. Uh, having said that, I think the Blues can keep it respectable. Um, so it sounds like we're both going for Richmond. I'll tell you what we might do this year, Finey. I think we should give margins as well as tips. What yeah, do you say? Enough. All right, yeah, let's, do, let's do that. All right. My tip for the opening game of the 2021 AFL season, I'm going for Richmond by 28 points. What say you? I'll go Richmond by 37. And that list of Carlton players is long and telling. And just out of respect, add Tom DeConning's name to that list of injured players as well, because he was certainly an up-and-comer, one that you noted as a possible, I know when you did your Carlton review, as a possible way up the ladder. So he's going to be sorely missed too, mate. Yes, a good spot by you. All right, uh, there's our first game previewed uh, Thursday evening. Let's talk about Friday. Friday night football, it's back. And we're back at the MCG for the second time in 24 hours. It is Collingwood taking on the Western Bulldogs. They met in round one last year too, of course. Our stats insider stat on this game is that not only have Collingwood won the last four meetings between these two sides, but they have won the hitouts by a combined 143 in the process. So massive ruck dominance there by big Brody Grundy. And uh, you will remember that game last year, Finey. He made mincemeat of poor old Tim English. And uh, that's happened to Tim a few times. Hence the arrival on the scene for the Bulldogs of Stefan Martin, who should provide plenty of ruck support and allow English to play up forward a bit. Uh, this game, 7.40 Friday night at the MCG. Uh, I've seen people tipping either side so far. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Uh, first of all, Bulldogs have announced that Lockie McNeil, he's only a Mac away from being a Brownlow medalist, isn't he? <laughs> Very good. <laughs> um, he's going to be making his debut, so obviously an impressive pre-season. They come into this game also with Stefan Martin to make his debut, Adam Trelaw to make a debut as well. And I think there's one other lad that's going to be appearing for the first time. We'll wait and see. Look, they've got a midfield to die for, the Bulldogs. But let's be honest, they came into last season's Game 1 with most people suggesting that they were on the verge of a huge season. And they were set back on their heels good and proper by that Collingwood loss. In fact, you can almost argue that they never quite, even though they made the finals and towards the end of the season were looking a much better version of themselves. They were so set back on their heels that night and then by St Kilda the week after that they never really recovered. So well, hang, on, it wasn't, are, hang on, it wasn't the week after, it was three months after. No, I'm saying that they lost heavily to St Kilda uh, in that next game, the next home and away game. Which was three months later. Yeah, you're right, actually. <laughs> sorry. sorry. I was thinking of the final. No, well, um, it's, a, it's an easy mistake to make. Sorry. Round yeah, one and round, on. round one was played in mid-March. Round two was played no, in June, June the 12th. Yeah, no, great. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there was a longer break between round one and round two than almost round two in the finals, but <laughs> not quite, but almost. Yeah, but nevertheless, 
they come into this game with a lot to lose. I mean, Collingwood are not favoured to win because they've lost players, most notably Trelaw. I'll be interested to see the role Josh Dacos plays. Is he going to be up forward? Is he a wingman? Is he going to be on ball as a rover? All have been suggested. How that forward line functions for Collingwood relies so much on Dugowie, doesn't it? The Bulldogs also have a forward line that is still a work in progress, but that midfield seems to have been, you know, a direct beneficiary of Collingwood's lamentable trade period, and it sets them up really for a big response to round one of last year, from my perspective, anyhow. Yeah, well, uh, injuries have taken a toll on the Pies too. No steel side bottom. He's got a calf injury. Yep. Chris Main, uh, concussion. He won't play either. Doggies have got a few. Hayden Crozier um, and Toby McLean will both miss. Uh, Eastern Wood pushing hard for selection after a hamstring injury. Yeah, look, I mean, you you fell under the Bulldogs spell last year, Finey. It's my turn this year. I really am feeling very bullish about them, pardon the pun. And I can't go past them in this game either. I'm going for the Western Bulldogs by 16 points. Yeah, I'm chipping the Western Bulldogs in this game. But, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Do not do what you did to me last year, Bulldogs. Bulldogs by 14. All right, we're in agreement on both games so far. Let's talk about the games on Saturday. Saturday afternoon, our third game in a couple of days at the MCG, 1.45 local time. Uh, A bit, uh, not quite as big a ticket item, this one. Uh, But interesting nonetheless, um, with uh, varying expectations on both these sides. It is Melbourne up against Fremantle. And our Stats Insider stat on this game is that the Demons converted just 50% from their set shots last season. Only four teams had a worse record than that. While they hit at 39% over the last four rounds and most tellingly and costly just as a final spot was on the line. It's been a big problem for them the last two years, finally converting the amount of uh, football their midfield group wins with chances for the forwards to convert. They get the chances. They just can't seem to convert them. I'm not sure if that's as much about structure as it is about personnel. Fremantle, well, it's funny, particularly in this side of the country, there seems to be a bit of bullishness about the Dockers' chances. They were pretty impressive last year um, in Justin Longmuir's first season as coach. Certainly very staunch defensively. A couple of reservations to mine, finally. I, I do think they need to add a few more offensive strings to the bow. And I do think, as you have said repeatedly, there is still uh, quite a heavy reliance on the very top few players in that Fremantle list and uh, they're going to be missing one of them unfortunately for them with Michael Walters um, set to miss because of a hamstring he strained in the Amy series. Rory Lobb as well structurally pretty important for them. Uh, Darcy Tucker, Mitch Croden, Sam Sturt, Bailey Banfield, Michael Frederick all going to miss and uh, still some question marks about Adam Chera. Ruckman, Sean Darcy, and... Darcy's not playing. Lloyd oh, Meek's been 
Well, there Mike you go. has been given, given the green light. Big Lloyd. There you go. And uh, Griffin Logue, uh, who's important to them defensively. So, gee, they are missing some personnel. They're playing away from home. I think that makes the Demons favourite. But, uh, yeah, I found this one a tough game to pick. What are your thoughts? Yeah, really line ball for me because you've got two depleted forward lines taking on two fairly set back lines. Now, we expect – we're not sure about Steve May. He got concussed in the preseason game and they've been pretty quiet about whether or not he's going to be available. So we'll wait actually until they run out before we're sure. Nevertheless, Matt Tabiner really provides – the main focus of their attention because there's no Walters. Fife is going to have to go forward to provide some offensive power to that lineup, and I guess that might leave them a bit depleted in the midfield. They need two net fives. Who doesn't? On the other hand, what's Melbourne's forward line? They've got Luke Jackson up there, fair enough. I don't think they're going to be playing Mag Jack Dorr. Um, Cozzy Pickett actually hasn't been at the club for three weeks, but he's been given the green light to play. He took personal leave and apparently came back in great nick. So the club, Simon Goodwin, was so impressed by his conscientious absentee a- absence that they're going to pick him. Still, is he going to be in great touch? That, that Both forward lines are up against it, against decent back lines. Welcoming back Joel Hamlin as well is good for Fremantle. So it's a real line ball game. Wait for my tip. Well, who who is going to kick the or, or take the grabs up forward for the demons? No, Ben Brown. No, Sam Wiedemann. Um, that's putting a Petra- lot of it's a, it's almost up to Petrarca and Fife to kick winning scores. Yeah, yeah, it, it certainly puts a lot of pressure on Luke Jackson, doesn't it? No, Viney. Uh, there's doubts over Brayshaw, May, as you said, Hibbard, Melksham. So they're uh, you could argue they might even be missing more talent than the Dockers. Um, Tips. I'm going for um, Fremantle here. They've won this clash in the past. I think of, uh, you know, they haven't been terrific on the road, but I think the MCG is one ground where they do tend to play some decent footy. They've had a couple of huge wins over Richmond over the last few years, if you recall. Uh, I think they can do that again. Um, I expect them to be pushing for the top eight this year, more so than I do Melbourne. So I'm going for Fremantle. Only just, I'm going for Frio by two points. Yeah, Melbourne have lost a few first rounds that they have been supposed to have won. Famously, that loss against Brisbane, uh, sadly, the day that we were all remembering Jim Steins is probably the most famous. But uh, I've tipped Fremantle as well. I just believe that that Melbourne forward line, poor as it was last year, is further depleted at the start of this season. And, you know, at least at least Freo have got Tabernet. That's sort of my logic. Fremantle by nine. All right. That is uh, the first game on the Saturday menu. Let's talk about the next one. Adelaide taking on Geelong at Adelaide Oval. 4.05 local time Saturday afternoon. And uh, this could be ugly, couldn't it? You've got last year's wooden spooner up against last year's runner-up. Let's give you a Stats Insider stat on this game. Tom Hawkins averaged a full mark inside 50 per game more than the league's next best contested mark beast last season in Josh Kennedy. 
that is the biggest gap between the best and second best in that statistic since all the way back in 2013. He had an amazing season, Tomahawk, and uh, no reason he can't deliver that again. Look, we know how close the Cats came. They were 22 points up in a grand final a minute before half time. Uh, they, it was a close thing, and they have loaded up big time on the talent this year, haven't they, with Jeremy Cameron, Sean Higgins, and Isaac Smith. They have a, a serious roll call of experience and talent in that side. Adelaide, well, it's almost the reverse of that. Not that they don't have talent, but they are very, very young now, the Crows, definitely in a rebuild under Matthew Nix. Um, did show some decent signs after, you know, we had that long-running going, long running discussion about would they win a game. Well, they end up winning three in a row uh, in the penultimate three games of last season. Uh, lost the last one, but that was against Richmond. So they went into the off-season with a, a bit of optimism and uh, they'll be looking for some of those young guns to go up another step or two. But even at home, you can't see them troubling the Cats. There's just a significant gap in class and experience and strength and you name it with those two lineups. Have Stats inside have given me anything to go on for Adelaide? No. <laughs> something, 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 because I tell you what, they have had really bad news in the last few days, just morally heading into this season. They've had to sack one player, Tyson Stengel. Yeah which is not ideal, but even more concerning is one of their young guns who've re who's really been sort of given a, a very early introduction into football with a great deal of responsibility. In other words, he's been sort of picked out for future, for, for future leadership roles, I think. Fisher Mackesy has announced pre-season that he wants to come back to Victoria next year it's been made quite clear that he does not want to be at Adelaide. That's not good. Look, they've got one place they're going to dominate in the ruck. Riley O'Brien will be up against Reese Stanley, who hasn't had a pre-season. Radigali is out for a few weeks with a broken leg now. Josh Jenkins is being given a, a surprise run against his old team, and he'll be playing for a few weeks because Darcy Fort's out for the year. That's where their domination ends. It's going to be a long season, starting with a long, long game against Geelong. Well, it's funny, you know, you said, have, have you got anything for me for Adelaide? And I thought, well, maybe maybe the record against the Cats is okay, because that was my memory. They certainly beaten them in a preliminary final. Uh, well, the bad news there is that Geelong has, in fact, won seven of the last ten meetings between these two clubs. Yeah, so, not much. Yeah, all right. So you're going for Geelong by how much, Fine. 53 points. I am going for Geelong by 40 points. All right. Two games on Saturday evening. Let's talk about them. Those old rivals played in three grand finals in a row between 1983 and 1985. A storied modern-day rivalry, this one, between the football clubs of Essendon and Hawthorne. It's at Marvel Stadium Saturday evening. 7.25. I'm going to be there, Finey. I'm going to avail myself of my reserve seat, although apparently it won't be that seat. Uh, they've done some shifting, but uh, I managed to get myself a ticket and really looking forward to this one. Um, 
two fierce rivals for just on 40-odd years now. Our Stats Insider stat on this game is that last season was the first time in 14 years that both Essendon and Hawthorne both missed the finals. There you go. That's an interesting one, isn't it? You've got to go all the way back to um, 2006. According to Stats Insider's futures model, they've each got a 28.3% and 33.3% chance of getting back to the finals in 2021. So 28.3% chance of playing finals, the Bombers, and 33.3% the Hawks. And my very rudimentary grasp of mathematics tells me that that is a third fine, although it should have that dot for repeating after the 0.3%. I think. Uh, what do you think about this one? Well, I tell you, I'm surprised with the stats, but I'm also interested by them. I didn't rate Hawthorne as highly. Maybe a stats insider say they deserve to be rated. I do like Essendon's best 22, though. I had a look at it the other night, and I like the look of Heppel off a half-back flank. I like the addition of Caldwell. I like a fit merit. I like it, a re-energised Devon Smith. Last year he was MIA, but he's a good footballer. I pity about James Stewart. That just would have rounded it off for me. So a bit of a reliance of Cale Hooker as a forward. That can work, but will it always work? As for Hawthorne, look, they're, they're rushing a few guys to sort of be at the starting line for the race, but that doesn't mean that they're Sherry Ripe. I'm talking about Tom Mitchell most importantly. He will play, but again, hasn't had a lot of yards in his pre-season. So I think Essendon's midfield has a real opportunity to get on top here and it's going to be old versus new. Old, but new Captain McAvoy versus new bristling Ruckman Draper. That's going to go a long way to telling the result of this game and that's why I think Essendon are going to win because I'm a huge rap for his energy and his ability to serve that midfield. Even if I can't recognise him from 10 metres away, Finey. Um, remember that? Uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I've got to say with my supporters hat on, I'm really excited about this lineup, um, And it's good when your expectations are low and you're pleasantly surprised. But we're going to see some new faces in that lineup. No, No question about that. I think Nick Cox will play. Um, and he's real exciting. Bloody tall, but mobile for that height. Archie Perkins, he's exciting. He's a chance to play, I think. I think Harry Jones, with a, a pre-season under his belt now and perform well in the pre-season, I think he's a chance to play also. Um, some outs. Uh, Jake Stringer won't play. He's got an Achilles injury. Michael Hurley, of course, uh, has had that worrying uh, infection that has laid him low. Paddy Ambrose. Uh, the guy he didn't mention uh, alongside Stewart as a forward-turned-defender, Jaden Laverde, I've just got a feeling he might really have found his niche in that role. So let's see how he performs for the first time for premiership points. The key for the Hawks to me, this one, finally, don't get me wrong, I've got plenty of respect for them, and they've looked all right in the pre-season games, but no Gunston, no Wingard, no Sicily. I don't think they they have enough quality on their list to withstand the absence of three guys as important to them as that trio. Um, so, look, I mean, these games are usually pretty tight. 
I don't think Essendon will win by a lot, but I am going for the Bombers and I'm going for them by 18 points. I'm going for Essendon as well. I'm going for Essendon by 21. You know, Hawthorne might have had a surprise weapon, but unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know what, how you look at it, Kofitsky kicked six goals in their last practice game. It would have been a bit of a, um, you know, a bit of headache, bit of a headache for first game coach Ben Rutten to have somebody he couldn't have imagined kicking goals in the first round of the season. But unfortunately, that has been exposed. That, as they say, that tinder has not been kept dry. It seems, uh, I've got to, I don't know about you, but I, I keep seeing the name Kaczynski there and I, I just expect a rewalt to be somewhere in the mix alongside it. So uh, maybe maybe they can get Jack to finish off his career in the brown and gold. Okay, I'm noticing a trend here too, Finey. I've got a little superstition. Very similar. Well, that, but also uh, with the margins, I've got a little superstition that I always tip and even uh, numbered margin. And I can't help but notice all your margins thus far, I'm pretty sure have been odd numbers. Most sum us up as people. Well, I was going to say, <laughs> no, I don't know if I'm known for my even temperament. You, no, are, cer- right. you are certainly known for being odd, however. <laughs> Sorry, but that was pretty obvious. Um, all right, uh, let's talk about the other game on Saturday night. All right, I'm sure they... Uh, have a name or used to have a name for this rivalry, Battle of the Northern States or whatever, but it is Brisbane up against Sydney. It's at the Gabba Saturday evening, 6.45 local time. Of course, uh, they don't have daylight saving up there, so that is 7.45 elsewhere on the eastern seaboard. And finally, you picked me up on that one day, but I've heard a lot of people subsequently talk about the eastern seaboard, so I'm going to continue to go with it. Go for it, mate. And this is the Craig Bolton. Is it Craig Bolton? Yes, played for both clubs, the Craig Bolton Cup. Yes. That is a good one. Uh, all right, interesting match this one. Of course, uh, the Lions unveiling their big-name recruit, Joe Danaher. Uh, they've been pretty close to silverware the last couple of years, uh, only eliminated in the preliminary final stage last season. The Swans missed consecutive final series now for the first time oh, since Laurie Nash was playing. No, you've got to go a fair way back. They are rebuilding, but uh, I am pretty bullish about their chances this year, Fine. In fact, if you remember, I tipped them to finish in the final eight. Let's go to a stats insider stat on this game. And uh, it's one which has been talked about a bit. Brisbane's 42% set shot accuracy last year was the AFL's worst an ongoing issue for the Lions. Uh, is Joe Danaher the man to straighten them up? Some would have their doubts. Since 2018, Joe Danaher has hit just 36% of his own set shots. So uh, he's had some kicking issues himself. Nonetheless, he has looked quite impressive in the preseason. He's looked fit. Most importantly, he's looked uh, motivated, not unimportantly. Um, so there'll be a lot of eyes on him as he makes his debut for the Lions. Uh, I'm not sure people are giving the Swans too much of a chance at the Gabatoire, as it's come to be known again. Finey, how do you see this one panning out? Well, I think it's a game that really Brisbane hold possession. They've got the four points. It's theirs to lose. Why have they got the four points? Because they've been a great team at 
at the Gabba. In fact, they've been a great team for the last two years. And Sydney are a developing side. But just be careful because this developing Sydney side is developing very quickly. I know you're bullish about them, so much so you put them in your eight. I less so, but very respectful of the fact that they've got Heaney back in the side. They're building a forward line without Buddy Franklin. They've got this young... I mean, it's a big ask. First game of league football, but the future for Logan McDonald is very exciting. Have you been to the Logan McDonald's? Isn't that somewhere between between Gold Coast and Brisbane? <laughs> I thought it was a TV award uh, ceremony. Oh, the Logan McDonald. Yeah, it could be anything, but he could be anything. And somebody to build a forward line around in the future. Look, McCartan looks like a, an absolute rock-solid defender, doesn't he? So you've got possibly the Maccas to build your side around with McInerney, who we both love, firing shots in between them. Beautiful user of the ball. Rowbottom, I know you're a fan of his. Helps out Parker and Kennedy, who both hit the season fit. Hickey's a good addition. I'm making a good case for Sydney, but I'm not going to make a good enough one in my own mind to upset Brisbane at the gabatoire, as you rightly call it. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And I... I got into a habit of adopting one young swan a year now. I think Justin McInerney's my man this year. I was so impressed with his uh, first few games of league footy last season. A few doubts about his fitness. Hopefully he'll get up for them. James Rowbottom, he's a really important player for them now. And I really like what Longmire's doing with this side. I mean, it, it's it's not that they've gone away from that sort of bloods, you know, hard-working, contested ethos, but they've definitely added some run and a bit of outside stuff to that game, which they had to do. And uh, the last time they had that as a feature of their game was back in 2012 when it was good enough to deliver a premiership. So I like the way they're going about rebuilding the list here. And I, I just got a hunch. I think they finished off last season well enough to make me think they could really quite quickly turn things around and be a, a bit of a serious player in 2021. That said, uh the Gabatois really is one of the uh, the biggest fortresses in footy now for the last couple of years. You know, the crowd gets right behind the lines. They know the ground intimately. They play it well to its peculiarities. Uh, I think Sydney can become a side that isn't so reliant on Lance Franklin, but at this stage, they definitely want him as part of the equation and he's not there. So it's going to be a bit too... Uh, too uh, one a bridge too far for the Swans, I think, playing Brisbane on their home patch. I'm going for Brisbane to win this one by 26 points. Fine. What's so funny. What's that? Because I had in my mind, look, I think Sydney will be in it for part of the game, really in it. But Brisbane by 25. And All right. That's exactly what I was thinking. I think we should continue this trend. I go with the evens, you go with the odds. All right, uh, three games to finish off round one on Sunday. Let's talk about them. First game on Sunday afternoon. It is at Marvel Stadium. It is between North Melbourne and Port Adelaide. It is at 1.10. And, uh, well, we talked about Adelaide Geelong potentially being a bit ugly. Ooh, gee, I wonder if this one might even be a bit uglier for any uh, North Melbourne not much expected of the Roos this pre-season. And uh, I didn't show a lot in either practice hit out to suggest that um, they're going to make too many strides this season under first-year coach David Noble. Good luck to him, of course. He's got a big task on his hands. Look, 
they do have some talented youth coming through. Uh, I think we'll learn a bit more about that as the season goes. They've landed some pretty decent recruits. Jaden Stevenson, of course, the most notable, but uh, a few others too worthy of note. Aiden Core, been a very solid defender for GWS. Lockie Young showed some promise at the Bulldogs. And, you know, you know, you get a block about some names. I really do have a block about R2 Bosna Velagi. Have I said it right there? Bosna Velagi? Yeah, Bosna Velugi. Yeah. Lugi. Okay. Uh, and apologies to him. I'm, I am trying to get it right. But um, there are four blokes who can come in and give them a bit more. Uh, solidity and a bit more senior depth, if you like, albeit, you know, a couple of them haven't played much senior footy at all. But it's going to be tough for them. Our stats inside a stat on this game, North Melbourne uh, were committing just 37.61% acts per game last season, their lowest number since 2015. That's interesting. And which was again North in 2015, committing 366 Per game, interesting. So uh, not only did their their skill and uh, their scoring drop off last season, and the victories, of course, but their effort, that famous Shinbona spirit, seemed to fall away a bit in a bit of a nightmare of a year for the Kangaroos, of course, and a fair bit of change, of course. Uh, Reece Shaw stepping down as senior coach, and David Noble taking the reins. Port Adelaide, what a fantastic season they had, topped the ladder. The entire season lost a preliminary final to the eventual premier by just six points. So they are so close. Finally, they can taste it. Some big ins for them too. Aaliyah, Aaliyah, stiffening that defensive structure up, giving them a bit more height in the key positions. And Orazio Fantasia, who no doubt can play some seriously good football. Durability has been an issue, but uh, fit and ready to go for the start of 2021. Port Adelaide, uh, they've played some pretty decent footy at Docklands as well. Yeah, it's got that this-could-get-ugly look about it. What do you reckon? Is it going to get ugly? Well, I've changed my mind, actually, because you said Bossen Vulagi and I said Bossen Valugi, but I think you're right. Bossen Vulagi, I'm going to go with. That's about the only change of mind I'm going to have in this game. Will North be tempted to sort of rush in three or four guys that have not had a pre-season? Will Ben Cunnington play? Will Trent Dumont play? Will Jared Pollock play? Will Robbie Tarrant play? Because if they do, it'll be the first serious competitive football they've played in 2021, and that has disaster written all over it. If they don't play, it's got disaster written all over it. They are really between a, a, a sort of, uh, for David Noble's first game, rock and a hard play. So I think either way, they are setting themselves, they're set up for a, a very tough first game. It's times and margin, please. Brisbane, Port Adelaide, by the way, only have a couple of injury concerns. Connor Rosie is going to miss the first few weeks. And Sam Powell Pepper's taken time away from the game. Um, and we, with all players, and there's a few in his photos, we know um, now more conscious of, of sort of um, mental well-being. We wish him all the best and back playing football when he feels that he's right to do so. Port Adelaide by many, 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 many points. All right. Well, let's predict how many. I'm going for Port by 42 points. I'm going for Port by 77 points. (laughs) That is a seriously big win. 
All right, uh, let's talk about the second game on Sunday afternoon. All right, 3.20 local time up in Sydney Sunday afternoon at Giant Stadium. We see Greater Western Sydney taking on St Kilda. And um, these two sides met in the final home and away game of last season, finally, and it was a, a big win to your Saints as the Giants' season ended Ooh, in a state of disrepair. In fact, uh, if you've watched the Making Their Mark docker on Amazon Prime, and gee, it's good stuff, uh, one of the key participants is Stephen Canelio, their captain. You get a real insight into just how nightmarish a year it was for the Giants. Of course, he got dropped. Nothing went right for them. Um, a real window into a club that has its challenges ahead of them just a couple of seasons after playing in a grand final. It was a remarkably quick downturn. However, I digress. They play the Saints uh, for the second time in a row for them. Of course, the Saints played two finals, so they've had a couple of opponents in between. Our stats inside a stat on this game, according to their schedule difficulty tool, St Kilda has by some margin the AFL's most arduous fixture this year with seven interstate trips, multiple games against Richmond and Geelong and six of their last nine games all against 2020 finalists. Gee, that's a tough challenge, Finey. And of course, also the Saints right at the moment have arguably the longest injury list in the competition. No Rowan Marshall. Paddy Ryder has taken personal leave. Max King out with concussion this week after being hit by a golf ball. Brad Crouch, of course, got to serve a two-game um, suspension for an off-field indiscretion. Ben Patton out for the year with a badly broken leg. Jaron Geary, a, a leg injury as well. He'll be missing for a while. Dan Hannabury, calf. James Frawley, badly torn hamstring. It'll see him miss half the season. GWS have got their injury worries too. Finally, Lockie Whitfield. He's had uh, liver damage. He's out for a while. Jesse Hogan, their new recruit, uh, not starting well. He's got a quad injury. Jake Riccardi, promising forward for them. He's going to miss too. Braden Priest, another recruit. He's missing with a shoulder. Daniel Lloyd has a quad injury. Adam Kennedy has a shoulder injury. They've all been ruled out. Uh, then you remember, no Cameron this year. Uh, no core. Uh, gee, they're 23. No is, Zach uh, Williams. No, Zach Williams. Uh, they're 23, don't forget, for the uh, medical sub, is going to look pretty different to the last GWS side we saw take the field. They do have the home ground advantage. Um, what do you reckon on this one? The uh, the odds and the pundits seem evilly split in this game. Who, who's got your vote? Yeah, well, I mean, he's never been... Fours, he, you know Max King is yet to kick four goals in a game. So when somebody yelled four, he probably turned around and said, no, three, and then he got hit <laughs> in the head by the ball. Yeah. I don't know how that happens. Didn't he, he? He was sort of an injury cloud with an ankle. He shouldn't have been playing golf. Anyhow, leave that to the experts. This is fascinating. Take GWS's back line, for example, from last year. No Williams, no Heath Shaw, no Aiden Core. No Lockie Whitfield, and probably no Lockie Keith, who is doubtful. Well, they've got Nick Haynes and Sam Collins, but then they're going to put together maybe Isaac Cummins and Connor Iden. 
St Kilda, on the other hand, has a forward line that's going to look very different as well with no Max King and various other players coming into the side, McKernan and Hunter. By the way, well done, Matthew Flynn. He's been told he's going to make his AFL debut 2,000 some around 2,000 days after he was drafted. That's a wait. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, actually, uh, the Giants had um, a video of him letting his mum and dad know that he'd finally been picked and uh, all three of them got a bit teary yeah. on the phone. It was, uh, it, was, it was good viewing, actually. Well done, the Giants, for getting that uh, up on social media. Yeah, so this, these are two teams that are depleted. Look, I think Jake Ricard is a big loss for GWS. St Kilda will show that they've got a heck of a lot of depth in the midfield and that's where they're going to have to need to break even with GWS because I think around the ground, forward and back, they still hold some trump cards given what GWS have lost. It's a very close game. I'll, I'll just wait till I give my tip. I might wait for yours and go one, one point the difference. Well, I, yeah, I armed an art over this one. But in the end, I always uh, like to, early in the season at least, um, look at my ladder and think, well, if I've got Team A finishing above Team B, uh, I should then pick them against Team B. And that's what I've done. Absolutely, St Kilda's catalogue of injuries is a major concern. But I think their depth is pretty good now. I think they've got some serious depth. And I think the thing we saw from the Saints last year too, which was a welcome development for them was was pretty good resilience too you know the number of times they're in trouble in games and they're able to to fight back and turn things around this is one of those occasions they need all hands on deck they're playing away they're playing against a side that's been stung by a pretty terrible campaign um they need to show something these are the sort of games you've got to just dig in and emerge with the points from I think they can do it. Um, that might be as much a comment on where I see the Giants at. I, look, I don't have them down the bottom of the ladder, but I, I think they're in a bit of trouble. And uh, again, that documentary, it, it sort of underlined it to me. I think this is a playing group that I don't think has great connection. I'm not sure about the relationship the group has with their coach, Leon Cameron. I'm not sure about the type of footy they're trying to play. What is it? I don't think it's that definable. Um, so a few worries there. And I like the way St Kilda started under uh, Brett Ratton. And I think um, now that there's that familiarity with him and with what they're trying to do in terms of game style, I think they can be a better side again in 2021. So I'm going for St Kilda to win this one narrowly, but I'm going for the Saints by eight points. I'm going for St Kilda by 19 <laughs> Okay, we haven't had a different tip yet, have we? We're on the. No, I'm going. I've worked out how to make sure that I don't lose to you this year. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks. Uh, all right, uh, last game of a fantastic schedule in round one. Uh, it's over in Perth. Let's have a chat about that. Optus Stadium in Perth, three ten p.m. local time Sunday. That it will, of course, be. Well, actually, for the moment, it'll be 6.10 over here because they don't have daylight saving either. And we still do for, what, a couple more weeks, I think. It is the Battle of the Coasts. West Coast taking on Gold Coast. Uh, This is one which on paper I think a lot of people would say is fairly clear cut. That said, uh, gee, the last meeting uh, was pretty ugly for the Eagles and a triumph for the Suns, of course, uh, 
uh, West Coast didn't start last year, last season well to hub life. And uh, the Suns fixed them up by 44 points with uh, star newcomer Matt Rowell, an absolute superstar in that game. Our Stats Insider stat on this game, uh, good piece on, on the Stats Insider site this week too, looking at West Coast Jekyll and Hyde impersonations over the last couple of seasons. The Eagles have gone... 7-8 against top eight opponents since 2019 and 17-2 against the bottom eight sides. Very similar story with their form at home and on the road too. Of course, probably exacerbated a bit by the hub situation last year. But uh, West Coast track record in beating the sides they should beat is certainly very imposing. 17-2 against bottom eight foes in the last couple of years. Uh, that interest you finding change your tip at all? No, not at all. You can elaborate on that if you like. Well, this is the Sade Cup, isn't it? What do you mean? Smooth didn't have a didn't Sade have a song Coast to Coast and into Chicago? That's smooth operator. Yeah, Coast to Coast, LA yeah. to Chicago. Yeah, that's right. Well, this is Coast to Coast, and I know which coast was going to boast at the end of the race because look. Gold Coast have got much to look forward to this season, but one thing they cannot look forward to is playing those big, mature body teams away from home. Maybe at Metricon they can plan some sort of sort of dewy reception for them and and un, unravel the the puzzle. But gee, can't you just picture a sunny day? Big crowd, wrapped to be watching their beloved West Coast. Goal kickers on song. They've got Kennedy's likely to play. Darling definitely playing. Oscar Allen's up there. Liam Ryan at the foot of the at, at, at the foot of the action doing business. Kelly screaming forward. It's ready made for not a smashing, but it's ready made for some pretty impressive football to get West Coast season underway. Gold Coast can short-circuit that a bit because they're better than we've ever seen them before with a growing midfield and, more importantly, a really now, I think, impressive springboarding backline. That's their strength. That'll frustrate West Coast, but it won't win Gold Coast the game. Now, I think one ray of hope for the Suns is a historical one. It- it's been their starts to seasons. They've been terrific over the last few years. They've had a, a 3-2 win-loss record after five games four times in the last five years. So they know how to start full of running. Uh, it certainly has fallen away badly after that, though. Even last year, of course, Matt Rowell's injury, very untimely for them and set them back a bit. Great to see him back in the lineup. I've been a bit harsh on the Suns in my later predictions, Finally, I've got them pretty low, and it's... It's not that I don't think they're doing things right. I just worry when you've got a big clutch of young players, after that initial promise, it starts getting tougher. Opponents do their homework. Uh, you know, it doesn't that... Y- y- there can be a bit of a subconscious thing. They think, you know, we're going to make this improvement and they sort of subconsciously just ease off a little bit. That might be a bit harsh, but I've just got a few reservations still about the rate of the Suns' progress. West Coast, there's a few people who think West Coast have got a little bit old now and uh, might be starting to fall away a bit. I'm not one of them. Uh, Nick Nat has just played his best season of AFL footy. He's 30. Josh Kennedy 
ended up winning the goal kicking for the for the Eagles for the first time in a few years. He's 32, I think. You know, their, their older players are still playing seriously good football. I think they can really give the flag a shake again this season. That necessitates absolutely putting in the bank fixtures like this one. And I think that's what they'll do. I think on home turf, their record at Optus Stadium, formidable, albeit unhappy in that last outing there in the memorable or infamous for them elimination final loss to Collingwood. Uh, They will make amends for that and then some in this fixture, I think. I'm going for West Coast to win this game by 36 points. For mine, West Coast by 41. Well, there you have it. We we have tipped the same. Uh, That doesn't happen very often in this segment, but it has happened to kick off season 2021. All right. There is one segment to go, Finey, and it is the time of the show that is very rapidly becoming, I think, both our favourite and uh, according to the uh, rapturous feedback I'm getting, it's our listeners' favourite too. Let's do it. Footy flashbacks. Oh, geez, I love that theme. Well done to our uh, producer, Damon Jackman, for uh, stitching that together. It is a fantastic start to a fantastic segment. Well, I've gone uh, two weeks so far, finding I started off with VFA football last week. I talked about Sandful football. This week, I'm back in the big league. I'm talking about VFL football, and I've got to admit, this is a favourite footy memory of mine. I don't know why it came to me, but it did. I am uh, plucking out from the vault, finally, round 20 of 1981, and a game that was a massive game in the context of a season and widely billed at that time as a potential grand final preview. It was Carlton playing Essendon in front of a packed Princess Park. The gates were shut sometime before the 210 kickoff. Essendon, of course, in its first season under Kevin Sheedy, had lost five of its first six games, that, but then proceeded to get on an amazing roll of victories. By the time the Bombers got to this game against the Blues, they had won 14 games on the trot. Carlton, though, was in top spot on the ladder and very much a flag favourite. Essendon playing some great footy, but their start was so poor, they kept having to win to stay in touch with the top three on the ladder and thus the double chance. And uh, this was seen as a huge test for them. And it was one for which the most part, comprehensively, they pulled up short. Carlton led this game pretty much from start to finish. Uh, As we'll hear, there was um, a moment where Jim Buckley roosted a massive torpedo. Uh, I know this, Friday because I was standing with the Essendon cheer squad at the goals through which that massive roost went through. That put Carlton 26 points in front at the 20-minute mark of the final term. And uh, that prompted me to turn to my two mates and say, come on, let's go. And much to my um, uh, gratefulness, uh, ever since they said, no, there's no point, we'll still get caught in the traffic. So they persuaded me to stay. Thank God they did, because, God, I would hate to have missed what then unfolded, which was one of the 
great comebacks finally. That man, Neil Danaher, this was probably his uh, the peak of his AFL career. Gee, he was a gifted footballer. Beautiful, smooth-moving halfback flanker. But that day with Essendon in trouble, he got thrown forward and responded by basically winning Essendon the game. It was a an incredible turnaround from nowhere. Started with a goal by Roger Merritt. Paul Vanderhaar then bobbed up and took a big mark, kicked a goal. Essendon suddenly back to within 11 points. The famous uh, or infamous free kick given away by Carlton captain Mike Fitzpatrick for wasting time, uh, a, a moment often replayed. Didn't actually cost Carlton a goal. A point resulted from that. But with time ticking past the 30-minute mark, Neil Danaher bobbed up first to take a good mark and bring the Bombers back within five points. And from the next centre bounce, the ball got bustled forward by Glenn Hawker and a tumble punt fell into the arms of Neil Danaher. I think, uh, was it Bruce Dahl behind him? But whoever was behind him slipped and Danaher marked, calmly steered through the goal to put Essendon a point up. And about a minute of play after that, the siren went absolute pandemonium. It, it was such a loud crowd that day. Uh, you'll also hear in this clip we're going to play, there was a big fight in the crowd in the last quarter. Um, the Channel 7 cameras panned to it. Lou Richards memorably said, ah, well, let him go. That was the uh, sort of boys will be boys mentality about fights on or off the field in those days. I've got to tell you a little story about the guy who you will hear being led away shirtless and with a bloody nose all over his face by two members of the constabulary. When Essendon got up and won this game, me and my mates who were at the other far end goals are running down the middle of the ground with thousands of other Essendon supporters going mad. We look around to our right and there's the same man, shirtless, with his nose spread eagled across his face, celebrating with us like nothing had happened to him. It was a surreal moment, let me tell you. Uh, of course, it all ended in tears, and this is the sad part. For First for Neil Danaher, who the very next week did his knee against South Melbourne and uh, barely played again. Uh, he was appointed Essendon captain in the off-season, but um, did his knee again during pre-season and would only play a handful more games. Not until 85 did he play again and then did his knee for a third time. Came back in 89 and 90, but uh, was a shadow of the player he'd been then. And, of course, after appearing with his three brothers in a game for the Bombers in the last round of 1990, that was it for Neil Danner's VFL career. And Essendon, who had, uh, after this victory, become flag favourites, well, it was all over for them within two weeks because after smashing South Melbourne, they lost the final home and away game in the sopping wet out at Waverley. Yes, I know I was in the crowd. Uh, by a kick, lost the double chance by 1% to the Cats and promptly got beaten by Fitzroy in elimination final. So in the space of three weeks, Essendon went from being flag favourites to first side eliminated from the finals race. So this was the high point of what was still a memorable season for Essendon. One of the great comebacks of all time. Let's have a listen to it. Down goes Wayne Harms from Bahaja. In comes Wells at centre field. Taps the ball nicely over to Mark Azan. Another one back to Buckley. And they've got the bombers rattling at the moment. The ball goes up there towards McClure. It's really a goal. And they pick him up. The 
difference of 25. So Eston have got to kick five goals in the space of around about 10 minutes to win the match without Carlton scoring. Mark taken out there for Eston by Eustace. Picks it back whence it came. Plenty of Carlton players in the square. Merritt flies and has brought it down. Had the run in. Well, Merritt has not scored a goal for Eston so far today. I suppose it's about 10 or 11 minutes to go, Peter. Maybe 10 at the outside, I reckon, Luke. The way Eston are playing, though, they won't be able to get up. That's a goal, so that brings them six points closer. Merritt's first goal. And the scores now, Eston, 11 goals, 13, 79 points, trailing Carlton, 15, 8, 98. And there we see one of the uh, combatants being taken away, and that was the man that suffered the broken nose. Plenty of him, but... Uh, not sunbaking, I'll tell you that. He's had his shirt ripped off. He's lost his shirt and his dignity as well. A long kick up there to watch the full forward position. Oh, Vanderhaar's got it! And he's only about uh, 15 metres out from goal, directly in front. And, of course, if he kicks this, it'll make the difference 11 points, and they're back in there with a chance again. Got to kick it yet, Luke. Well, he's got to kick it, and the pressure on Vanderhaar. Gully, you wouldn't have given him a chance uh, five minutes ago the way Carlton were playing, would you, Pete? No, certainly wouldn't. Kicked by Vanderhaar. Another goal, 11 points the difference. Back there towards centre field, Nagel going after, picks it up nicely, he's clear. Hits the ball back there towards the full forward zone. Plenty of uh, Carlton defenders there. Oh, there's plenty of If he kicks this, he's already kicked one goal. He's only about 30 metres out. He wouldn't be 30 metres out. You can see the goals there on the screen. He puts this through. It's only five points the difference. So it's five points the difference now. We've got about two and a half minutes to go, I reckon. We're about 29 minutes into this last quarter. There's the score. 15-8-98 Carlton to Eston. 13-15-93. Pull this out of the air, Carl Eston. Can they get up and win it? They're 14th in a row. There's Simon Madden coming up to urge his players on. Going back to the full-back position. Oh, the pressure's on them all now. Fitzpatrick's got to get this knockout. He's got most of the day. Bounce back there towards Merritt. Actually picked up by Watson. It's a smothered kick out there towards the wing position. Coming out to meet it now is Hawker. Overruns the ball. Taps it on. He's got it. And the bomber's back into attack again. Up she goes to get away. remember that game vividly from my vantage point or my listening point was stuck in the car park at Waverley. St Kilda had just narrowly gone down to Hawthorne, which during the eighties was a rare thing. I mean, you know, we were there absolute plaything. I think less than two goals, but because of the late finish of the Essendon Carlton game, I was able to listen to the end of that game as a passenger stuck in traffic 
with uh, whoever was giving me a lift to the football. And I remember just that incredible finish, the Fitzpatrick decision and pandemonium even through the speakers in an old Datsun 120B. Isn't it? Uh, aren't some of your uh, fondest memories of listening to another game on a radio? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, when there were six games played at the same time, it was really, you'd, you'd leave the ground and, who are the winners? You know, Carlton, Hawthorne, yeah, yeah. Fitzroy are up against North Melbourne. What? You know, yeah. oh, there's still a couple of minutes to go, you know, and you're trying to balance well, you, well, you just reminded me of a similar thing in that same season. In 1981, um, I had uh, series tickets for the Waverley finals. So me and my mates were at the Carlton-Geelong second semi-final, which Carlton in the end was winning comfortably. At the same time at the MCG, Collingwood and Fitzroy played one of the great finals. Um, and Fitzroy came back from something like seven goals down in that game, hit the front. Yeah, was 11, that game? Yeah, well, got 11 points up and then famously... That was Ross Brewer, wasn't it? Yep. Uh, first Peter Dacos and then Ross Brewer kicked one over his head. But everyone at Waverley were sitting in the outer there. I had, uh, or my mate had his tranny and uh, transistor radio. And uh, we had dozens of people gathered around our radio listening to the end of the Collingwood Fitzroy final. It was those uh, are the days. Okay, uh, this that's the sort of nostalgia we're trying to induce here. All right, uh, Finey, I, I don't know what you've chosen this week, so uh, surprise me. What are you going with? Well, I'm not going back a million years, I'm going back to 2004 and the most extraordinary goings on in a grand final unexpected from a player you wouldn't have imagined doing it, but it was an old-fashioned send-off, probably premeditated in a way, by Alistair Lynch that will never be forgotten. Of course, I'm talking about Alistair Lynch throwing everything, a series of lefts and rights, most of which didn't connect, against his opponent, Daryl Wakeland, in the 2004 Grand Final. Now, it was to be Alistair's... It was always going to be Alistair Lynch's last game, his 306th game of football. He was a magnificent footballer for Fitzroy at both Brisbane's. I mean, he was just an outstanding footballer. But he came into this game probably with an injury, with a quad injury. I mean, he didn't get a single stat. He did not touch the ball. He was on and off for the entire game. And as you'll hear in the clip that we've provided, a bit of commentary about what happened. But then Daryl Wakeland, post the 2004 Grand Final, talking about Alistair Lynch and what Lynch had said to him, heading out onto the ground. Basically, he, he warned him. He said, I'm going to get you. You know, watch yourself today. And made it very clear that he was going to go out swinging. Now... Alistair Lynch, in the years that have passed and, and, and after this game, he's very embarrassed by it. And it's, it's interesting that even though he's part of uh, the Channel 7 commentary, or is it Fox or 7? Fox. Fox commentary team. You know, Nick Rewalt, when he's on, they, they often bring up the Heath Shaw smother. And there's, it's hard to, especially as an Aussie sportsman, live down the moments that, you'd be embarrassed by, but nobody ever mentions 
the day Alistair Lynch went proper because he is hugely embarrassed by it, um, very upset that he did it, can't explain what mindset begot him. I think it's because he was injured going into that game. I think it's because Brisbane, even though they were going for their fourth, you know, he was a triple premiership player. He'd played in the three wins. There must have been a feeling that they weren't quite right for this one. And that sort of manifested itself with Alistair thinking it's the last game I'm playing. I'm going, you know, I'm going out swinging, which is crazy because he does regret it. But it does make for extraordinary viewing or listening. And then to hear Daryl Wakeland, and I won't steal his thunder, actually tell the story of what Alistair Lynch was saying to him is quite extraordinary for a player of Alistair Lynch's standing in the game. So it was an amazing time in football where one champion went crazy in one, sadly, his last afternoon of footy. Well, let's have a listen to not only the action, but Daryl Wakeland in the aftermath. Boxing on with Wakeland now. Watch this. It's going to develop. 2-2, two, two, 14 lines. 3-4, oh! 2 Alistair Lynch oh! with the rival. They're oh, swinging punches. Alistair Lynch is swinging left and right. And he's and amazing. The is there. It's a world championship fight. This is extraordinary. Lynch is this just I got a sense when we were walking up, it must have been the second siren, it just blown, we were going to our positions and I remember him being about a metre in front of me and sort of turning to his left and uh, he, he said something along the lines of, um, he said, Wakeland, don't try anything today. He said, you try something, I'll knock your effing block off. And so I sensed at that stage that he was, um, potentially could something could happen during the game. But it must have been five or ten minutes later, and that's when I remember Treadray took a... He'd come back behind the plate, took a, a, a great mark in the forward pocket, Lynch leading out hard, uh, Treadray's taken the mark, and I, I saw him pull up short. I thought, he beauty. I thought, even if he's just got a little niggly niggle of something, whether it's quad, hammy, calf, um, it's, it's a great result for us as a team because it would unsettle them. We knew he wasn't going to have a full game in the tank. But then it was uh, Shawnee Berger on an Akamanis just playing a bit of push and shove in the goal square. And uh, I think it went over and I said, come on, boys, sort it out. And then Lynch basically turned to me. He said, what are you going to do about a hero? And uh, he went at me and grabbed me around the throat. And I thought, here we go. It's on. Just a fascinating insight into it, Fonny, isn't it? Uh, yeah, he's a lovely guy, Daryl Wakeland. So it's Lynchy, by the way. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd never heard him talk about it before. So yeah, I guess the things a grand final can do to someone. I, I love that little anecdote too about uh, Acker and Sean Burgle and sort of and when you look at the footage, you can see him sort of take a sideways glance and go, hang on, we're not What's getting involved. In, we're not going to get involved in that. Um, yeah, that was amazing. In fact, I uh, I covered the tribunal um, hearing after that. And uh, that was when, I think there might have even been the first year they introduced 
the double penalties or whatever for serious grand final incidents. And uh, lo and behold, you know, they had to deal with one. So Alistair Lynch got given a 10-game suspension yep. for that. Of course, it was uh, a moot point, really, given that he'd retired. But um, In yeah, stark that... contrast to Carl Diffridge, who got reported a number of times in his last game of league football against Collingwood, and the tribunal said, now, Carl, you promise you're not playing next year? He said, no, I'm hanging the boots up. And I said, well, we're not going to give you any weeks then. <laughs> yeah, no, good, good stuff. I remember that footage of Big Carl going around just putting a fist in the back of Billy Pickens' head. Um, yeah, that amazed. But you know, that's back in the uh, early 80s, isn't it? Whereas uh, we're talking about 2004. Just incredible to see that sort of uh, wild brawling action happening in the 21st century. Uh, I, I would like to give the last word on that sort of that that incident to St Kilda ruckman Lazar Vidovic, who was interviewed by a good friend of ours, Scott Goodings, in a, a short run to brilliant club fanzine called Marching In. And he was asked about missing the 1997 grand final through injury because he got injured in the last home and away game that season. And he said, had he played, only two things would have happened. Either St Kilda would have won or they would have brought in the send-off rule. <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. Uh, it was a Brett Cook had to uh, carry the rucks for the, yeah. the Saints in that game, didn't he? Um, all right, great stuff. Uh, uh, like I said, I uh, hope you enjoyed that because we're certainly enjoying bringing it to you. We love our footy nostalgia and fantastic footy flashbacks. going to be a regular part of this show in our midweek podcast. And remember, of course, we have two podcasts per week now. If you're wondering what's happened to the rant off today, well, it hasn't gone anywhere. It's just moved to the Sunday edition. And, yep, you can hear us just a few days after this podcast Wrap up all the round one action. We'll be recording after the footy finishes on Sunday night and get that up online, hopefully late Sunday. Uh, and you can hear that uh, during the week as wrapping up the round one action. And that is when you will hear the rant off. But that is the end of this pre-round one podcast, Finey. And uh, we have a host of partners and sponsors to talk about now. So uh, please do your thing for our our regular wonderful sponsors. You certainly can have burgers anywhere in Melbourne. I see them. They're almost as common as massage parlours or those places that offer massages. I'll start again. Three, okay, two, sorry. one. Okay, sorry. So, yeah, okay. When you say start again, we're really recording this year. Do you have to do the massage parlour thing? No, I won't. No, don't. Three, two, one. There's plenty of places in Melbourne to get a burger. Look, they do proliferate. We know that there's some big chains out there. So why would you... And, and I'm genuinely telling you to drive past burger joint after burger joint if you live a few k's away from 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Why? Because with each passing burger place, you know you're getting one place closer to the best. Past the rest... Go to the best, Andrew's Hamburgers, and treat yourself to the great Aussie burger, 81 years young, 82 years young this year. They're the best. And in the vicinity of the Andrew's Hamburgers, 
you might see a few beautiful house rebuilds. West Point Properties, I bet, hopefully, a couple of their captains have big weekends. Happel and Pendlebury, of course, those boys are none other than proud dwellers in West Point Property Rebuilds. Well done, Nick Spartels. Big thanks to Andrews Hamburgers and West Point Properties and a big thanks also to our newest partner here at Footyology. It is Stats Insider, a sports and data-driven industry leader providing model projections and analysis for more than 15 sports across the world. They simulate an event 10,000 times to best understand both the range of possible outcomes and the probability of each result. Along with their famed pre-game live and season projection, Stats Insider is also home to some of Australia's best independent sports writing and analysis. Everything's free to use on the site. So check them out at statsinsider.com.au. Check us out at footyology.com.au. Please become an official Footyology patron. Uh, Your support will enable us to keep this growing operation, continue growing. Uh, You can also be a uh, supporter on our ACAST supporter page, uh, which is available to tap into and offer your support anywhere you're listening to this podcast. That's it for this week. We're almost there, just hours away from the bounce of the ball for the men's AFL 2021 season. This is going to be a great weekend. And we'll be back on Sunday to wrap it all up for you. We'll see you then.